0: Like, I'm so conscious of, I'm not being humble. I'm so conscious of, like, just really lowering myself in a way that I never had before. And I'm also really conscious of, like, how not doing it in the past, I was setting myself up for all kinds of negative things. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's just, I am I mean... But, but yeah, it's just become really clear to me how different of a person I am. And it's a little, to be honest, it's a little disorienting and it's also, it's not a little disorienting. It's a lot disorienting and like, I really am having to lean hard, really hard on prayer because like, if I lean on myself, I find myself like second guessing myself because I'm realizing that like, I really didn't have the skills to deal with stuff that I thought
1: yes let me let me encourage you my beloved <laughs> okay remember that's good but especially in this situation specifically encounter engage interpret define humility not as thinking lower of yourself mm. but less often mm because you need to have confidence right and so think of it as the humility that allow you to be in the flow you know you know how when you're in the flow you see st- you cease to exist it's just like you're just engaged right and the second you become aware of what you're doing then you fall out of it right so mm. so engage the pursuit of humility and I was like oh you know like yes, that's great. You know, I need, you know, through Christ, I can do all things, but like in this case, it's thinking less often of yourself, not lower, but less often so that you can just come out of the picture. And it's just like, you're engaging and just try it because I I would, I would think your flow count will might should increase maybe, you know?
0: No, that's, that's good actually, because Yeah. One of the things that I was noticing and it started to give me a weird feeling is that like I was noticing myself falling into a pattern that I had fallen into many times. I mean, the environment's very competitive, right? Like internally competitive because it's like competent people doing stuff with software. And and it's always about like, you know, who's on the hierarchy or whatnot because you got to call shots and and whatever. But at the same time, you got to have people that you're managing who are like, you know, really better than you at a lot of things. And so it's like, I found myself falling into a pattern of doing things almost with the express reason of them, like making me look like making my profile and making me look good in a way, as opposed to just like, this is what, like, do the thing that gets the job done, right? Mm -hmm. Like going a little too far in terms of like, polish and like oh if i do it in this way it'll make me look good as opposed to just like speaking from the heart to the people that matter and being like yo this is what needs to happen like here's Mm -hmm. the deal you know so so yeah that that thinking less of myself is really that's thank you father that's like a really good helpful word right there Mm -hmm. um because it it articulates like what i was seeing and feeling and where I was like ooh I'm doing something wrong but I couldn't really figure out what it was that was wrong I was just had this massive feeling like ooh that's wrong mm-hmm. you know but that really articulates it that's helpful it's like now you weren't thinking about moving things forward or the people around you you were thinking about yourself mhm cuz yeah. that
1: that's that's a trap we all fall into especially like humility is I mean it's such a thing right like it's hard to really grasp cuz it it remains in this realm of abstract for such a long time and Mm. it's like an abstract concept but like that that reality of just you know humility isn't like I'm a worm I can't do anything blah 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 because we read the fathers we even read the hymnography of the church and it's and it speaks in in, to some degree um deprecating tones Mm. but you know like we have to, we have to take it in the right context. You know what I mean. Um, and we have to have a, an appreciation for the fact that there's a there's an absolutely ne- necessary poetic aspect to hymnography, because you can't you can't articulate spiritual movements without poetic, you know, mm-hmm. language, right? But understanding, po- but understanding poetry, because we understand poetry, oftentimes it's like, oh, it's not literal, so it's not true. No, absolutely. Actually, poetry can be more true than a literal sentence, right? It can convey so much more. But anyways, like, but in regards of humility, thinking less often of yourself versus thinking, you know, lower or thinking poorly, you know, it's not about thinking poorly of yourself, it's thinking like less often. Because even when someone's like, I'm a worm, I'm trash, I'm this, you're still thinking about yourself. You're, you're still at the center, even though you're being like self-deprecating. It's like, yeah, just get your eyes off of yourself either way, whether it's just like, mm. I'm the greatest or I'm the worst piece of trash. Like either way, just get your eyes off yourself and get after what you need to get after.
2: Hi everyone and welcome to Royal Path. And right off the bat, Cyprian is a little bit laggy. We know it. I don't want to hear it. All right. He might a little be he might be a little bit laggy. We can't help it. So that being said, what is your guys' like best? Like uh who's your like your favorite drummer? Slash, what is the like coolest? song for drums that you think of doesn't have to be complicated just you're just like when you think of a good song with some just awesome drums in it what do you guys think of i feel like you guys probably pick from almost any led zeppelin song even though i'm not big into led zeppelin but i mean man there's so many doesn't have to be complicated or technical it's just like just like because i mean like okay like magic man by heart Like, that is a great drum song. Uh, Like, just the dude... I don't know who plays the drums on that song. I haven't looked it up. But, like, the dude that is, like, rocking out in...
1: Okay, like, The
2: Wizard by Sabbath. (laughs) Like,
1: man, that's so good, right? That's so good.
2: Uh, Yeah. Is that your answer?
0: I don't know. I don't know if I could... I don't know if I can pick a, a a a song in particular um for for drums but uh but but my favorite drummer is Phil Collins.
2: <laughs> oh. Um, <man>. like,
1: <laughs> wow. So, That's you great. know, man, Cyprian, we love you. <laughs> Phil
2: Collins. I'm just saying. Wow. Do you like his solo stuff, Cyprian?
0: yeah i like everything i like everything he's ever done i love i love genesis stuff i love the solo phil Collins stuff incredible no i love him i mean is he that great of a drummer no but he's my definitely my favorite drummer if you I like his song drummer. with Philip like, bailey my favorite No doubt.
2: yeah um i would say it's I mean, not my favorite drummer not my favorite band but a song that is incredibly fun to play on drums. I can't remember what it's called. It's like track six or seven off of (laughs) Tools Lateralist. Just like Pneumon and then Pneumonia or something like that. The one that's heavy, the one that like track seven or something like that. It's like, um, I'll add it to the, all these will go on the playlist, but it's just like a, fun song to play on drums and when you watch Danny Carey like play it live it just looks so like it just looks so like it's just kind of all over the place it's not terribly like difficult and'm I'm, I'm kind of a drummer that's the reason why we pick drums and father and I talked a little bit about drums beforehand but um, the it's just super fun to play and it's yeah it's not terribly complicated and it works really well with the way the song goes. So um that's my answer. So anyway. Well, well, guys, I was like
1: hey, Oh man, I know I mean, that's so I know it's so played out. I don't care.
2: It's so good. Just so we know there's an entire genre I avoided. I did not, I didn't even get into metal because like Mashuga is next level. I mean Thomas Hake or Hike, I don't know how you say his mm-hmm. name. Um He's the dude is like 60 years old. And he is still tearing it up. Their latest album is absolutely incredible. He has not lost a step. Nick Spencer from Archspire is absolutely insane. There's a video of him playing a song called Lucid Collective. Absolutely. Like this dude has to rest muscles in his bodies when he's playing. He has like switch his snares with his left. Like he goes like, like that with his hands because his arms get so tired. Like, When he's blast beating, so he blast beats with his right, then his left, then his right, then his left, then his right, because it's like literally his back muscles are getting so tired from the way he's drumming. He has to like actively rest parts of his body while he has to like plan that out because he's so absolutely insanely fast. Um, Yeah, I'm done there. I'll stop. But like, there is a like metal, you throw a dart at a death metal band from Sweden. Uh, especially Sweden, um, maybe even some like Finnish death metal and stuff, those drummers are off the wall. They are absolutely incredible. I, I avoided all of that because I didn't want to have this conversation I'm having right now. So <laughs> I'm going to move on. I'm just going to move on. So we had discussed about talking about it last week, but we're going to get, we're going to touch on it lightly. We're going to try and not keep it. We have to be controversial. We have to be, but we're going to talk about the filioque for as long as, as long as we talk about it, um, because it's important. It's, um, yeah, it's important it's important. And I did a little bit of pre-pro for this. So, uh, I felt like this was the time to do it. So anyway, so last week we had talked about, um, uh, the Holy spirit who proceeds from the father. Now for those not in the know and father, please just stop me at any time and jump in, please. If I'm starting to kind of lead astray a little bit, but the filioque is this idea, uh, that, or was this, this wording that was added into the creed at a certain point was taken out, then added back in, um, And it basically was one of the main reasons why the West and the East split from each other, where there was the schism in 1054. Of course, this is big broad strokes. There's a lot more that went into this, but we don't have time for that. So we're just going to go through the broad strokes Um, and then the schism between the East and the West in 1054. And basically what it comes down to is this wording that um, the Orthodox say in our creed who proceeds from the father who with the father and the son together is worshiped and glorified who spake by the prophets. Now the filioque, which is traditionally what the Western church says, or the Catholics, you know, people who know things in the West, uh, who recite the creed in the West, they'll say who proceeds from the father and the son. Now, why this is not good from a layman, from the limited amount of knowledge I know, is because what that does is it gives like an order to the Trinity in which one is subservient to the other two. So far, so good, Father. Yep. Okay. So um that is um that was a big sticking point. And basically what that means is constantly within orthodox hymnography, within like our verbiage, it within, within like the way we say things co-substantial and undivided. They are equal and one in essence. Any kind of hinting, any kind of like that one is lesser than the other has got to go right away like got to go. If you're corrected on that and you refuse to, you know, acknowledge that or to like step away from that thought, then it's a heresy, you know, anathema. So, um, I've never been to a Catholic mass, but my wife was Catholic and she says that they still say it like that, that, that proceeds from the father and the son. So father, I wanted to kind of touch that's, that's the very, very basics of it. But Father, I kind of wanted to touch on like why that is so, I guess, could you expound a little bit on why that is so important as the way that it is obviously maintaining that the Trinity are one in essence, indivisible and completely equal, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to get out of my depths, in regards of getting into um, the what and the how per se, because there's a lot of really good um, academic theologians who would do a much better job. and, And I would just kind of like butcher it. I'm just, I'm a simple priest at best. I think where I feel really comfortable speaking on this is the why why it's so problematic. And maybe even a little bit of how it's problematic in regards of the way that it affects. I actually feel really good speaking about that, about the how to, um, because one of the things that's really problematic when we have these discussions, I know, I know some very good pious Roman Catholics, and I think this is a great opportunity to kind of speak to that a little bit because, absolutely, um, you know, <laughs> it's it's just really hard because when, as, you know, um, as Orthodox, you know, and and what I mean by that is like, you know, not trying to rest in some weird, unChrist-like polemical disposition just for the sake of being cantankerous or disagreeable sure. and unfortunately you can kind of get that vibe from a lot of Orthodox folk but that's not where I'm coming from so there's there's you know I, I think especially now and don't worry I'll get into it I just I have to kind of throw throw some bones out to some people that's good especially especially now with how bad the state of the world is not just the West but how bad the state of the world is in regards to not simply morality, but also to the, the nature of reality, right? Like I said, not just simply morality, but the nature of reality is becoming unraveled. Um, and alphabet soup month, you know, um, transhumanism, all of these things are such huge issues that in many ways, when the Lord says, you know, there will be one flock, one shepherd, I see where there is an absolute need for, you know, especially like Orthodox and, and, and Catholics to really find common ground. Um, but it has to be common ground based on truth and not based on um, sentimental unity because that doesn't serve anybody, right? And that, I, And that's what I find to be the real problem is that when people talk about unity, it's not based on truth it's based upon sentimentality right so all that being said you know there's some really you know good well-meaning you know roman catholics in it. And, I, and i mean to be frank it's one of those things where it's easy for us from the inside because you know we've seen the light <laughs> but you know if you're looking on the outside in on, on on their on their end i mean it would make sense right because you could look at us and just think, oh, the Orthodox are a mass, especially if you're in the States, right? It's like, they're a mass, like they're less than however percentage of the population. It just, it looks, you know, it, and this is, now we're gonna start getting into it. It looks from a worldly perspective that like, they're right and that we're just, you know, kind of bitter insular, you know, tribes. And, you know, that there's some validity to that critique. Now, all that being said, let's start talking a little bit about the why and the how that's problematic. But before we get into that, let me just touch on the little bit of the what that I feel comfortable talking about. So like you said, there's this subordinism which brings the Holy Spirit, it subordinates the Holy Spirit in the person of the Trinity. And it's, and it's problematic, obviously. Um, and it does a lot of things. It supports the Holy Spirit. It subordinates the Holy Spirit. It also begins to distort the primacy of the Father and what that looks like. It gives too much, it gives a, an unbalanced emphasis to the primacy of the Father as well, you know? Excuse me. It begins to really mess with, and, and it, it leads to at least all kinds of problems you know, in a, in a, in a technical aspect, um, in regards of, you know, the personhood of the Trinity, that, that intercommunion, which is fundamental to reality and understanding like what we are now. That's about as far as I want to go on the technical side of it. Cause we, in order to really get into this, we have to keep that portion simple, right? So to keep it simple, the father is the source, right? The son is begotten and the spirit proceeds from the father. Right. So, in so this is, this is, this, this is simple. We'll keep it, we'll keep it simple at the technical level because as we get into the how and the why that's much more messy. And in order to navigate that and not get lost in that, we have to keep that, that kind of anchor solid. If you guys are following me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, great. So the first thing I want to talk about in this regard then is, um, there's a fundamentally one of the problems is that it leads into. Thank you. It leads into us. Man, people are bringing me gifts tonight. God bless <laughs> all my all my children. God bless them. you were just like bringing me gifts. God bless all of you. So uh, it 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 brings us into this first real issue, and that is it begins to highlight the um, speculative nature of Roman Catholic theology, right? As opposed to our absolute emphasis on uh, the empirical nature of, of empirical or experiential nature of theology, true theology, and The fact that revelation is the key why do we even know about the trinity it's revelation it was it's not deduced through some sort of like philosophical sophistry so you begin to see right off the bat there's a speculative aspect that begins to now color so much of at least from our perspective how we see the west has approached god and theology and all those things begin to affect the the anthropological sociological facets of of existence right this is this is why you know i'm gonna start pulling out all the old tropes that we've maybe talked about before or if you've been orthodox while you've heard these before but like okay for those who haven't heard like one of the differences we would say between the east and the west and these are all real simple right these are all what i would call um elevator pitches right just like 1054 is an elevator pitch right it's like it's way more complicated than that. And, and obviously, you know, the schism between the East and the West has, has just as much, if not more, to do with cultural, economic issues than it does like technical, clinical, quote unquote, like theological matters, right? But the problem is, again, we don't, we, orthodoxy strives to remove dichotomies. Whereas the Western mindset, my Western mindset inserts dichotomies, if you understand what I'm saying. So no, this whole concept I of don't. classification, okay. Classification, right. It's like classification, like we, we exist like our dispositions, like, like taxonomy, you know, it's like, it's like classification, like boom, like we want to get it down to, you know, okay. If you want to understand Andrew, you have, okay, race, gender, class like you know i mean all of these dichotomies classification right like a zoo zoology you know like
2: okay oh okay, so
1: you see what i'm saying yes. so, so so this tendency towards classification is part of the problem one of the biggest problems with western spirituality and you talk to any roman catholic who's converted and has converted for a period of time they'll tell you this is one of the this is one of the harder things for them to kind of like buck a little bit because there's a fluidity in regards of Orthodox spirituality, an Eastern quote-unquote mindset that's very hard to get into unless you begin really kind of like understanding this tendency towards this kind of like classification or inserting dichotomies, right? If if, if you guys are following me at all, right?
2: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, One of the reasons why I would submit to you things like alchemy, things like like demonology and and magic as we would understand it you don't have it in the east like you do in the west in the west it's based so much on these very um the very spirit of sorcery i know i talk so much about sorcery but the very spirit of magic of sorcery of is is this kind of like mastery through dissection mastery through dissection so in other words i do this at this time on this date in this order boom right i have i have success if if something's off it's because i wasn't exactly correct you know what i mean um in my like system- form, right?
0: systematization
1: systematization like systematizing. yep yeah. systematization classification right you like you see it you see it in the way that we approach rubrics, in the way that we approach prayer, all of these things, right, and and even in, like, even the Russian tradition, which is much more rigorous, and, and I, I say that in the positive sense, which, by the way, I'm, you know, we're in the Serbian tradition, and, um, you know, I I come I'm more familiar and, and live in the in the Slavic tradition, so just so no one throws hate mail at me, right? Like, but for this sake, if you're following what I'm saying, I love the Russian tradition. I'm what I'm saying is though, is out of in comparison to the 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 more Hellenistic styles, right? It is the more rigid, right? And and there's a whole historical thing with that. And I wouldn't call it rigid, but in comparison, right? The point I'm trying to get at is. The West is, in regards to Rubik's, very much it's this kind of like magical sense of like timing, boom, boom, right? And it comes from this disposition of classification, you know what I mean? Um, Again, dichotomies, this is a key thing we're gonna keep coming back to, dichotomies, right? A separation, inserting a dichotomy or we would say false dichotomy for the sake of being able to appropriate an understanding which equates into mastery if if that if you're if you're following what i'm saying right so Mm -hmm. getting into this thing with with the trinity and the subordination that that comes with the filioque and seeing how the spirit of it or really like i don't think it's a matter of the filioque brought this in but really but rather the filioque is kind of like a uh a fruit of it right and so you know revelation versus versus speculation you know um also to a tendency to need you know in the west you know the roman catholics have from my perspective with you know not being roman catholic but it it definitely seems that there is an aspect of mystery that is maintained but you know de facto the way it plays out, especially in comparison to to our tradition in our our lived experiences as, as Orthodox Christians, you know it, it's I mean it, it, it it's almost all but gone and and this is part of what I think people often mistake when they look at us kind of like oh you guys are backwards, oh this and that but what it is is they actually aren't used to encountering mystery in this in this context, right because the mystery isn't just kind of like, you know, blinding yourself and just fumbling around. It actually has much, has so much to do with how you actually encounter revelation. Mm. Right. Because, because remember, revelation is not something that you've discovered. Revelation is something that's revealed to you. And this, this is again, very important to understand. So for us, Revelation is revealed to us, it's not something we've discovered, and therefore we must honor it because that's how God has revealed it to us. Do you you see what I'm saying? So, this is why we're so particular on dogma and, and certain things because it's like, no, this isn't us just kind of liking whatever, this is what God revealed to us. And so, this is why we're looked at by outsiders as, like, oh, you guys are just, you know. Religious theological curmudgeons who just don't want to change anything. And it's like, no, no, no. I mean, there may be some aspect to that. There may be some truth in that critique on a, on a small local level. But when you get into the essence, the heart of the church, no, no, no. It's because it has to do with these things have been revealed to us. And remember, like we talked about earlier <clears throat> tradition is the revelation and the experience of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. So these aren't just willy nilly things, which is why the which is why, you know what I almost said, which is why 2020 and what happened there was such a big deal. And still, I maintain this, you know, bring it on hate mail. uh, Those who still don't get it, you really don't get it, right? This 2020 and everything that happened and changed the church. At first, that, that initial getting through it may have been having a lot of political overtone and everything like that. But at this point, right now, okay, I won't speak for anyone else. Uh, for me, and the people I run with, the the politics is like whatever. It, it really is down to the spirit of what's of what it means and, and why. You can't just, you know, if you think you can just futz around with the things that the church has been revealed to us, it's like that. And that at its core says something about how you encounter and experience the things of the church and the things of God.
2: Yes. Right.
1: I I know. I'm just, I know I'm like a fire hose right now, but I'm just, I want to kind of like keep going because there's a lot here. Right. So, so this thing about revelation is, is really key because.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Father, one second. If I can say GK Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy um, it says that uh, the difference between sanity and insanity is the idea of, having your head in the heavens is sanity and having the heaven trying to have the heavens in your head is insanity so like when you were talking about it's yeah it's not a bad book um awesome. when you're talking about like the f- classification it sounds like like forgive me it sounds like D. it sounds like this is a level three ice mm-hmm. spell it is powerful against right. this you know this thing. right, right. instead of like the true D would be like well it's a mystery a lot of different things could happen if you do this you know right. like it's up right. to god so right so
1: so this whole experience of revelation and moving out of the kind of mastery of self right like I, i'll just say out of experience it's all it's very satisfying for me with god's help when i'm able to help people kind of out of this but it's tough because a lot of folk they'll they'll okay like here here's a very common thing that happens people will be in the church for a period of time you know two four six years eight years whatever and they're doing great but then oftentimes they're not exposed to the noetic tradition they're not exposed to the neptic fathers they're not exposed to some of the deep kind of like deep tradition i hate to say it that way because it, it, some people feel that that's kind of agnostic whatever but like you know the the fact of the matter is, is a very superficial not superficial as in it's bad but it's the surface layer of the tradition that people encounter and you can kind of stay there forever right you can stay there forever um but for those of us who need more because of how terrible we are that doesn't but you can't stay there so what happens is is like you you almost by necessity begin to need to like start plunging like greater depths and not in some kind of weird like oh i'm deep like some sort of um pretentious thing it's actually a very difficult tough thing to do because it has more to do with your pride than it does how much you've you know how much you've learned if you're following me. Right. So what we're talking about is not like, Oh, I've cracked open the Philokalia. Now I'm like deep. That's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is like, God has shown you yourself. God has shown you how wrong you are about him, how wrong you are about other people, how wrong you are about yourself. And you're going to make that choice, whether you're going to, you're going to accept that or reject it. That's what I'm talking about. Right. And so these constructs that we have being born here, um, they're very difficult to let go. I mean, very, very difficult to let go. I can't emphasize it enough. So when you begin to understand that this, this way, this approach towards theology and God is the way that we approach interpersonal relationships too. I know who you are because you're from Missouri, you have a beard, you have messy hair, you're this, you're, you know what I mean? Like that, that tendency comes from all this, right? It it comes from all this, right? And so you begin to see how these theological movements matter. Now, why they matter, we start moving into, it's very difficult now to have a, a proper relationship to God. Well, how do you know it's proper? Well, the fathers tell us and they show us that the need to have, you know, and this is going to make some people's heads kind of spin, but there is a need to have a quote unquote personal relationship with God. Now it isn't in the sense as evangelicals phrase it because evangelicals when they phrase a personal relationship with God, they're coming historically out of a context of rejecting, but so the Reformation is rejecting, the institutional rigors and, and framework of Roman Catholicism, right? So it's like, oh, no, no, that's all just kind of like an empty framework uh, and you need to have actually encountered God. Okay, so there, there's truth to that and that's good, but the problem with it is, is there, you know, we would say, for instance, Rome adds too much and Evangelical Protestantism the Reformation takes too much out, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. that so that being said, for most evangelicals, what they'll find when they come into the church is that there's a sentimentality. And, you know, for us, we would say there's a very delusional aspect to their approach to God. Right. So they have this whole, like, you know, kind of Jesus is my boyfriend. Jesus is my homeboy type of disposition. And like, that's not, that's not accurate. Um, because it really supplants some very key things that are necessary to approach God, namely humility. Right. And, and and the fact that, you know, although, you know, the Lord desires to call us friend and no longer slaves it says in the scriptures, you have to understand what that context is. Right. And so to kind of make very simple what I'm saying here and to just move on, God accepts you as you are but he loves you, you know, he loves you enough to not leave you there, right? That, that's, that's how we would say, and that's how we have experienced God, those of us who have been in the church and have really gone through this process and are still going through it, right? Still going through, but God loves us enough not to leave us there. Now, moving on from that, you start to begin to really understand now where people find themselves stuck in this very sentimental disposition, right? And that sentimentality, in many ways, whether they recognize it or not, is a social, cultural rejection of this kind of classification, systematic systematic approach to God. If you are what I'm saying, so this kind of like shadow, living in the shadow of a very cold, uh, uh, you know, almost commerce based relationship with God as most, you know, Roman Catholics, quote unquote, have talked about experiencing, like there's, there's validity to that. There's truth to that because I will tell you from experience, right. Having spiritual children that are, that have come out of Catholicism and are becoming, you know, are are in the church. Uh, and I'm not talking, you know, just like a couple of years in, I'm talking like longtime Orthodox still working out, you know, errors from being raised Roman Catholic, um, even pre-Vatican II, right? You know, I have a, I have a spiritual daughter's pre-Vatican II. Um, and so much of her struggle is working some of these things out. And you begin to see that, forget internet orthodoxy. Like, I'm telling you from experience, like those issues are real. They aren't just simply kind of like these check marks of like, you know, Roman Catholics do this and Orthodox do that. It's, it is a very different approach. It's, I would say experience, not even approach experience. I would say it's kind of like the difference between um, it's like, uh, Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know if this, yeah, maybe this might work. Um, It's kind of like the difference between um, riding a bike and like swimming, right? If you if you think if if you if you think about the mechanics of riding a bike, and even in the fact that you're using like it involves this foreign object, this mechanized object which allows you to move. And, and I mean, you know, I'm a, I don't, I'm, I almost said I'm a cyclist. I'm not a cyclist. I like, I enjoy riding bikes, right? I, I enjoy, you know, riding a bike. Um,
2: You've been it's, known it's, to it's, ride a bike or two. Yeah,
1: it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Um, I love riding my bike. Okay, great. Um, winds in your hair, there's fluid movement, all that stuff, right? but it's categorically different than swimming on every level, right? The way your body's engaged, the fact that you are, I, forgive me everyone, it's, a, it's, a, it's, oh, this sounds terrible, but it is almost a perfect analogy because with swimming, it's you engaged with, some, with, with it's you engaged directly, with an element outside yourself, like unless you you, you see what I'm saying, it's mm-hmm. you engaged direct with an element outside yourself, and you, in order to swim, have to become immersed in it. You become immersed in that in the water, and it and it takes every fiber of your being to swim. Do you, you see what I'm saying? Every like. Hold everything think about it holding the breath of your back muscles you use all these you, there's every aspect of your being that's involved with swimming if you're going to swim
2: so it's orthodox swimming or bike riding
1: oh yeah orthodoxy is swimming
2: yeah i was gonna
1: okay. roman catholicism is bike riding you know what i mean i i hear you yeah and and this is this is why like you can get you can get super technical with swimming you know what i mean but that, that technicality, you know, it's like technicality in this context of swimming leads you into like the area of being a specialist, right? Like I'm a swimmer. I'm an Olympic swimmer. I do this and that. I have these techniques that I employ for a specific purpose. And this is where we start getting into like, well, this is the place of because there is a place for academic theologians and orthodoxy. I think we talked about this before, right? But it's not what people think it is, right? Um, monasticism. Um, you know, seminary. Whether someone's you know, you know, and and the clergy, seminary trained or not, you know, the lady. Like, there's all these different kind of. I don't want to say specializations, but I'll say, it for lack of a better term, that you begin to experience with swimming. But everyone's swimming. Everyone's swimming, and and you, and you have to be immersed in all that stuff. Whereas with the bike riding, there's there's this whole other. There's a separate. I mean, you are engaged with. Um, with something that isn't living in that sense. You're engaged the bike, you know what I mean? And the bike allows you to engage the elements in regards of, you know, the material, earth, you know, and the wind and all stuff. But that mechanized, that mechanized, uh, mm, there is a dichotomy <laughs> that's inserted there in order for you to experience movement on that level and all of the kind of like attributes of that movement, including wind in your hair, the feeling of like fluid movement, right? All of those things, right? Are attributes of you engaging movement, but you have to use this mechanized thing, which in itself is to some degree, paradoxically opposed to that because a mechanized, Something that's mechanized is, 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 is by definition rigid in comparison to, you know, a, a natural manifestation of a, a manifestation of nature. There's a fluidity to nature that we encounter that even when you start talking, it's like, what is he talking about? Like, even, even if you're talking about like the earth, there is, a, there is an aspect in which there has to be a measure of surrender if you're if you're following me right the the key thing is it there's a sense of mastery that has to be removed when you when you enter into this this world of of the the bike
0: the bike is a tool of conquest Mm -hmm. like the bike the bike is a, a a means by which you can conquer the elements but if you're swimming it's the opposite you have to you have to surrender first and foremost to the element that you're in before you can even start to move in it. Mm -hmm. Like you have to just recognize, like, I can't beat it. Mm -hmm. So I have to engage it like for on its own. You have to engage the water as the water. You can't engage it as anything else. But when you're bike riding, you're just engaging the bike.
2: Right.
1: Bingo. Bingo.
2: So, so I'm sorry, father, I'm just going to, I'm going to go ahead. And at certain points in that last, uh, the last, uh what you are talking about, my head started to spin. So I'm going to back up just to make sure I'm with you. Yeah, just forgive okay. me. For no, me. you're good. This is my job. It's like I'm like the red shirt in Star Trek that says like letting the air out of a balloon after the whole big sciency thing happens. They say we'll reverse the nanotrons and then like letting the air out of a balloon. Like that's me. I'm that guy. So we're going to back up just a second. We're going to say you have this You have these two things, you have riding a bike, you have swimming, okay? The mechanics can resemble each other in certain senses, um, but in certain key aspects, they are completely different. So the bike is you're engaging with a mechanical device built by man, right? So there has to be this like you push and the bike kind of follows your movement and stuff like that. And you have to kind of work at the bike to get going. Okay, And we're talking about in this, in the most complimentary way possible, this is kind of an analogy for Catholicism, while as orthodoxy, you are swimming. Now, some of these mechanics, you may be using the same muscles, you may be using some of the same techniques, but they couldn't really, they, they're very, very different. One is you're using all your muscles, you're having to surrender, you're having to work with the thing that is surrounding you, rather than focusing on this one little thing, which is hands on handlebars keep bushing don't hit the like the spiky death sticks from missouri the spiky death balls so that you fall over and then also when you're swimming make sure that you're not taking on more than you can you see i'm saying like these things they yeah
1: they, yeah,
2: yeah yeah They made i little, mean sorry i'm done yeah
1: yeah forgive me i just it's it's a it's a it's a perfect analogy because it's I'm sure we can follow it down and it'll break down at some point, but it keeps going. Right. Cause even, cause you basically reiterated some of what Cyprian said, but then you kept going and there's a, I'm like, yeah, there's aspects. that we, if we just kept going with that, it, it plays out more and more. Right. And so, so I, I want to run with that a little bit more because this, so one of the things that, um, I have found consistently with my spiritual children that have come out of Roman Catholicism that are now Orthodox. Um, and, you know, just for the record, like two of them have been monastics, you know, uh, and the rest of them you know, lay people of various stripes, whatever, some people coming out of very, very traditional, almost hyper-traditional, uh, you know, sex or whatever within Catholicism. Some people just coming out of like Novus order, like new, like just kind of contemporary Vatican II, like, right. So the thing that I, f- I found consistent with them is that there is a struggle to transition into this aspect. There's two things they struggle with. They struggle with the way that the tradition orthodoxy presents to you things like asceticism, things like obviously liturgical prayer, liturgical life, but that's not the thing in of itself. Right. So it, it's a very difficult thing because it's not just a matter of getting it down, mastering it and honing it like exactly. Like if you're being rigid in orthodoxy, you you begin to to lose it. Right. It's like he who seeks to, you know, find his life, you know, must lose it for my sake. So the more you try to grab onto it, the the more it slips out of your hands. So that's the first thing. But the second thing, and most importantly is consistently, what I found is they have it, they have struggled with this sense of God doesn't like me. God is like, you know, God needs to be appeased. You know, God, um, God is very distant. You know what I mean? And this is something I found consistent. And again, like, we're not talking about a monolith of people. We're talking about, you know, people from different, um, you know, sociological backgrounds, genders, even age groups, you know what I mean? And that I found that to be a consistent thing. So what that speaks to, again, is some of, you know, getting back into this, uh, this, this tendency towards like mastery, systematization, right? Conflating the organization with organism. And, and that's one of the things, you know, like uh, I was privy to being at this colloquium in like 2003. What's the
2: colloquium?
1: Uh, it was, it's basically a, um, a colloquium, let I me mean, make it real simple. It's it's like a uh, uh a speaking engagement lecture with multiple speakers or a few speakers that are engaging on a, on a shared topic. Oh
2: it's, I'm, this is not like an orthodox thing. This is just a speaker thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, okay. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. Sorry.
1: So Sorry. so it was at Loyola Marymount, the big Roman Catholic uh university in California, and uh father justin who at the time i don't know now but at the time he was the only english speaking uh monastic in uh saint catherine's in sinai uh the he was the guardian um of so so big kind of like rabbit trail whatever um saint catherine's the monster in sinai has has pretty much I mean, not the only, but like some of the oldest icons, right? They have them in that in this monastery, mostly because all the ones prior to this were destroyed by the iconoclasts. Anyways, I'm sure there's ones on Athos, blah blah blah. But point being is Saint Catherine's is known for having some of the oldest icons, like you know the Sinai Christ that we talked about many episodes ago, right? The Pantocrator, that's that's at that monastery. Anyways, so. They had this exhibit at the Getty, and he was the caretaker, he's the guardian. And so while he was there, they were going to do this colloquium on iconography, whatever. And they wanted to kind of like, I don't know, I, I guess I get it, like ecumenical stuff, but it's like they had Father Justin representing the Orthodox, they had someone senior representing the Catholics, obviously, and some like protestant dude you know like to jim yeah like representing like the evangelicals some like theologian quote-unquote whatever <laughs> so uh what was really interesting was the monsignor he kicked it off right and he made this interesting joke he's like he's talking about like you know i'm here representing the catholics for justin blah 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 and he's like well you know I guess in one way, you can look at it too, because we basically joke was since we've organized the colloquium, it's kind of a representation of the fact that the, the Roman church is known for our administration. You know what I mean? And then he made like a dig at the Orthodox for being unorganized, whatever. But like, that was kind of interesting because, I mean, there, there's, there's truth to that. I mean, this this gets into the whole thing with like Dostoevsky and the Grand Inquisitor, if anyone's ever read it, if you haven't read it, you know, it's in the brother's Karamazov. it's it's you can read this one section of the brother's case separate from everything else. It's called the grand inquisitor. I encourage everyone to read it because it will help you really get an insight into some of what I'm speaking about in regards of like, not just how we view the distinctions between the East and the West, but, but like what that looks like and kind of like almost the why. The Grand Inquisitor is essentially this this portion in the Brothers Karamazov where one of the brothers is is basically kind of like breaking down his perspective on things. Anyways, Christ comes back and there's this this cardinal during the Inquisition who who recognizes Christ even though no one else recognizes him. and He arrests him and he begins to interrogate him. And he basically begins to lambast the Lord He's like stuff like, oh, you know, you left all these years ago and it was left to us to keep things in order, you know, all, all the stuff going on. And he's he goes through the temptations of Christ. And basically what Dostoevsky is saying is, you know, um this third temptation of, of the Lord being raised up on high and, and being shown all the uh um all the nations to rule, and you know, the Lord rejecting that, he's like Rome basically like fell at that temptation and this is how you begin to see not just why they are kind of the like the largest church in regards of administration but like but like the why you know so anyways this is really key because this is a this is something that plays out to people on the ground this plays out to everyday people like the people that have been my spiritual children they're everyday people um and their experiences, again, like I said, span pre-Vatican II to all the way up until, you know, whatever. And they have a shared reality. And that reality comes from this. Anyways, yes.
2: So, oh, Father, how, how does one reconcile something like uh, God is, um, because I've never been Catholic, but I do struggle with this idea that God is mad at me. That he's upset with me or, you know, or whatever that like I've I've um, he's someone I need to appease, you know, like, how do I reconcile that with these saints who spend, you know, 20, 30, 35 years in asceticism uh, kind of just, you know, going hard, hard, hard. And then suddenly like an angel comes and says, God has forgiven your sins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it,
1: I mean, easy, 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 because okay. they're not
2: they're not doing that
1: because because they feel like God's mad at them. They feel it because they've realized their sin. Right. So, so the, like, let's look at it this way. Right. In some regards, (laughs) you, if you spend enough time around quote unquote cradle Orthodox, like you can almost get scandalized because it's like almost the flip side. It's almost like, (laughs) it's like they, they can almost seem to be disrespectful towards God. Like, like they're the ones like pulling God's ear and being like, "You need to do this for me." It's it's a very flip. It's it, it's an inverse of this kind of like stereotype of Catholic guilt and all these things, right? Because because the Eastern experience of God, it, it like this thing. This what you said proves my point. You weren't even raised Catholic, but you're still a Westerner. Okay. And so in the West, you know, look, man, you know, forgive me for pointing on Joe Biden, like, <laughs> like the, the reformation is a child of Rome and, and, and evangelicals and, and Protestants, they, they think they're so far removed from Rome, but they're, but they're, they have way more in common with them than they realize. Like, I'm going to tell you something. it, in some regards, in some regards, evangelicals have more in common with Roman Catholics than Roman Catholics think they have in common with Orthodox And in, in a lot of ways. Boom. In no, a lot I agree. Ways. I agree. You know, so, so this, this whole thing of this, the mechanization, the classification, the rigidity, um, you know, this kind of zoological approach to god and to reality the fruit of it are these things that we're talking about right this is the fruit of it and the filioque is like an icon an inverted icon if you will of all of this so it starts there and that's why theology matters because theology affects how society interacts with god which is and who is reality right so we can now like move onto another aspect of it which is you begin to see also how it impacts you know the the way that the church oh go ahead
2: oh i'm cyprian i had a question for you was well, do you struggle with the guilt i don't you know you don't have to give too much away do you struggle with the guilt like because i i know that you did spend some time in the evangelical camp is this something that i'm alone and struggling with or is this something that like is fairly common you're another guy from a protestant background so i thought i'd ask well and i was baptized roman
0: catholic i mean i am oh. Mexican. well then they're... so
2: it's like i was raised in i was raised in a catholic
0: milieu on one side for sure okay um honestly no and i think it's one of the things that like drove me probably to the occult for my spirituality more than anything was because i just didn't i i i, I don't i don't have the guilt like, I just, I just want to get closer to the, the thing, like the experience. That's what I'm always after. And so I just know that like, if I'm sitting in sin, that I'm going to have a difficult time getting, like, I just know that when I'm not, when I'm not like just in the soup, the, the soup of sin, like if, when I'm not living in a sin soup, <laughs> it's just a very different experience than when I am in a sin soup. Cause I've, tried both Mm -mm. and so like it's just a very different experience and so i'm like okay but honestly andrew it's weird that you asked that because i have often thought like should i feel more guilty like i've it's weird i've almost felt guilty that i don't feel guilty so there's something there's something (laughs) It's really weird (laughs) catholic it's really weird
2: That's I forget. There's some Simpsons joke or something like that. It's like ah, oh, the guilt of not feeling guilt or something like that. Like yeah, they're like digging that. at Christianity like or something. I yeah,
0: can't remember. it's really weird.
2: <laughs> Father, can I ask them really quick and not to divert us too far from what? Keep it. Keep your thought close in your head. But I have a a question, if Father, if we're if we're struggling with guilt, is there a broad strokes approach to the way we could kind of be seeing that? Because you know, I then there's a part I think of a lot from a show called 30 rock where uh, Jack Donaghy played by Alec Baldwin is trying to talk someone out of becoming Irish Catholic. And he's talking about the guilt you feel all the time. You can be sitting in a park eating tacos and you're just feeling guilty. And like, I don't relate with that anymore, but there were times definitely since becoming Orthodox that I have felt just nonstop guilt. Is that like a good thing? Is that something I should explore broad strokes is there like something that that is speaking to like is it pride is it ego is it like leftovers from my emotional or my western upbringing
1: yeah yes mm-hmm. uh all oh, of it. yes like, like yeah. yeah yes and i mean i mean I, I think the thing is about guilt especially is that like it, it has its place um but I, I think the thing is is that it it when we're talking about guilt in this context, it's it's a it's almost like a neurotic psychological
2: thing. That's how I would that's how I would describe it. You know I
1: mean, what I and, and so that's why again, like um, you know, I, I would I would say that especially to that kind of guilt, if it's experienced, it's like there's something wrong with the relationship. You know, it's like there there's a transactional aspect to that that is not okay. You know, um, and it's definitely not repentance. Now, there's a, there is a place for guilt, but really, you know, just like I would I would say, and this I remember this was a shocker for people, but it's like uh, I don't know if you remember, but you know, I gave this homie a couple of years ago about shame. You know what I mean? And good shame and like. I rocked a lot of people, but it's, it's one of those things where if you really want to get down, um, to the brass tacks of things, you're going to have to learn to embrace shame and shame as opposed to guilt, not the toxic shame and and toxic shame looks more like guilt than it does actual, you know, like godly shame because shame is there. Shame is the fruit of of a of a um of a wounded conscience mm-hmm. right shame, shame is shame comes from you know you have you you've, you've transgressed right and so you know like when someone's healthy enough i I want to help them as their confessor embrace shame because it's where you figure out where you're hurt it's where you begin to figure out where you're sick right hmm. but our our society is so sick that you know you have your therapist this is ugh, like you have all these therapists telling people to get rid of shame get rid of shame no shame no shame and they don't make the distinction because there is no distinction really speaking I'm i'm sure they exist but generally speaking for most therapists most secular therapists they don't make that distinction and so for them because that's the milieu that they've been swimming in you know in the mental health industry for however many you know you know years and decades at this point shame is bad and just basically you want to free yourself of any shame and guilt and everything goes kind of and this one says that's a gross mischaracterization blah 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 i don't think so i don't think so i got at the majority like that's not a mischaracterization. So I agree. Write me if you want to. I, I have no problem going to the mat with you
2: on that Andrew one. at royalpath.net. Yeah. Go uh, ahead and, like yeah. come at me, bro. Uh, for <laughs> real. I will,
1: I will stand by that. So um so like this thing with the shame, though, it's like again, real quick. I've given this analogy before, but you know, there's an there's an accident. Boom, accident. You know Cyprian's lay, you know, Cyprian's sitting on the side of the road, his car's totaled. I'm the anti I come up. I'm like, I don't see any blood coming out of any of his orifices. It's like whatever he's, you know, but like he was in this, he was in this accident. So what do I do? Like, well, I'm I'm touching, like, do you hurt here, here, right? I, where I where I touch him, like, oh ah, like that pain is where he's hurt, even though I can't see it. Do you see what I'm saying? There's no like Protruding bone. That's it's the same sense, the shame. So learning to learning to distinguish the two, right? Between quote unquote toxic shame or guilt and finding that place of godly, healthy shame. You want to see yourself grow spiritually, start talking to your confessor about how to build up a, a tolerance for shame. And I mean, all these all these people, like, I want to talk to God, where's God? Blah, blah, blah. Well start to start figuring out how to like embrace a little bit of this shame embrace this place in which you know repentance is needed you'll start seeing god real quick like and i'm gonna tell you something you're gonna see god so much you're gonna want to kind of like close the curtain a little bit you're gonna be like well real i'll talk to you a little bit later god i'm just telling you that's that that's what that's like you know and and so the the function of sacraments and, and ritual from my perspective now. Again, I've never been Roman Catholic, but I have spiritual children again who are pre-Vatican II all the way to now. It's it's also a very different approach. In some regards, the sacraments and the experience can can sometimes unfortunately be almost like um it it can almost be like a curtain as opposed to a veil, right? Mm. So I would say for us, the sacraments and liturgical life, they're veils that allow us to to come closer to the holiness of God. Whereas from my experience, the sacramental life for uh, Maybe maybe I just get like the really bad disaffected ones, I don't know, but for them, and i I don't think so, I'm just being facetious like sure. it it really functions almost like a curtain because it's almost like if I'm engaging in the sacraments a certain way and blah, blah blah, blah blah, that's where that kind of mechanized, systematized, almost magical approach to it, it really obfuscates God, and that's why they can feel so far from God and and it's it's this weird tension that isn't healthy because for many of them the sacramental experience to some degree has kind of been this weird uh thing that's distanced them from god in certain aspects right whereas for us it it draws you closer if you want to you know early enter into it you know so
0: it's it's bringing up the so this practice of eucharistic adoration mm -hmm. uh, which is something that the a lot of these trads have told me that they're really, really into, and it's well, like where they Supreme.
2: what's a trad? A tra-
0: tradition, like a traditional Catholic. So it's like a, it's kind of like a little bit of a movement. Like it's, it's got sure. some political aspects and some other things, right? But so I I know some I know some folks, and they're you know I mean they're 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 good folks. Um, but yeah, this, and I don't I'm not I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like create a scandal here because i don't understand it well enough but what i do understand about it is that the is that they they kind of like set the wafer up in a chapel and then they like do a like a meditation or something like a special kind of meditation like in a chapel focused on the wafer itself mm-hmm. like the blessed wafer and i just found it to be so so different from the orthodox experience of like even when when you guys were coming here and it was like, well, you better learn how to make prospera. Like you better learn how to make the bread, Mm -hmm. you know Um, that it's like this communal thing that is that like the people are doing it as opposed to Mm -hmm. like, it's made by the institution. Like you have to get the wafers that come from the institution. And then we're actually going to like worship the wafer that comes Mm -hmm. from the institution you know what I mean? Yeah, As so opposed like, to like no this was baked by the people. So it's
2: very that's a very interesting way of putting that. I like that Cyprian. That's very interesting.
1: Yeah, like yes, and and just to be charitable, I I don't I don't I'm not familiar with the the practice on a personal level. Um but I understand the kind of like theology behind it, but again to kind of Cyprian's point um, it puts the emphasis in a, in and in a, in, I don't want to say wrong, like, I feel like I'm having to get all, pe- you know, really like, but it, it puts the emphasis in, in, in the wrong place for us. It, it really does. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, okay, getting back to some etiquette. I would like to see more people doing this, whatever, blah, 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 because this is an, this is an example where there's some overlap in regards of that kind of Eucharistic adoration, adoration, right? So like, you'll notice in, in a, in, in a parish, depending on the piety of the parish, but typically speaking, people are crossing back and forth. They'll make the sign of the cross, right? Cause the altars in the center of the temple, if you're going left to right, right to left or whatever, you know, you make the sign of the cross. Um, and the reason for that is because in the tabernacle, the Eucharist is there. The reserved sacraments are there, so there's this overlap in the, in that sense of like that's how we would see like yeah we we get it that regards that that eucharistic adoration you know what I mean, but I think the thing is is like there's an aspect there which I don't understand and you know we should probably get someone to come in and comment on that but um I would say that. Like, for instance, something that the Catholics, Roman Catholics do, which I think is great, you know, like the whole daily mass thing. Like, that's great. You know what I mean? That's great. Now, mass for them can take 20 minutes. You know what I mean? Sure. And like, for us, that's like, that's proscomedia. That's not even like the liturgy, you know? So so there's a lot of things that are there that, that on a kind of practical level are, are difficult. And it begins to you begin to see in these kind of like differences of of practices how if you're watching it you can almost kind of see what where the thread is found because for us again um again you know i i mea whatever but in my ignorance looking at it the 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 practice of Eucharistic adoration kind of like lends itself more to some of these things that we're talking about. Like, it's not meant to be like, like the Eucharist is meant to be inside you. Like, <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like you're, 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 you're meant to, to engage. Yeah. I, I want to be careful because there's, I could start going down a line of logic. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but it, it's it's just it puts the emphasis in the wrong space and from our perspective from my perspective from my perspective it makes a lot of sense that practice makes a lot of sense in light of everything i've been i've been speaking on you know what i mean and the inverse is true for us it it does not make sense that that type of you know devotion and practice would not make sense for us it would be a very forced and foreign it would be like not it, it would be a foreign the
2: ethos of the church like no. that just doesn't feel like something we no
1: no no so so yeah i mean i mean anyways um that's a thing but getting getting back to i guess kind of putting a um a period on the filoque aspect of it um I would, I would just say that um, we need to be really careful because there are lots of good intentions, but um, the divide there is, is, isn't as simple as people want to make it seem.
2: That was some of the videos I found where some Catholics doing the pre-pro some of the Catholics are like, yeah, but you have to understand the context and why they said this. And it's not as big a deal as some Orthodox want it to be. And I was like, mm, I don't know about that. But. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So anyways, sorry, I just felt like that was um
2: no that's it's a good thing it was excellent it It was excellent it's a a good thing we put the quarter in the machine father all you were was the song so i mean (laughs) mean, we knew what we were getting into um and it's interesting without getting too into it i saw a service performed by father this last uh saturday i had not seen before which was somebody coming in from the ethiopian church to our orthodox church and they having to renounce the Ethiopian stance on the fourth ecumenical council. Um, and that was interesting to me because, um, again, you know, and I was one of them, so I don't, I don't want to act like, you know, um, that I'm better than anyone. But at the same time, it I was one of those guys that was like, oh, you know, this probably comes down to translational error. Mm-hmm. Like this probably was just miscommunication. We really do believe the same thing. And, oh, you know, all the, the hundreds of years we've lost with this brother or sister church, you know, just due to this miscommunication. And that's not true. Like that's simply just not true. Um, the, you know, um, yeah, what fathers said is true. Um, but at the same time, uh, I think one of the temptations that people like me would take is, is that viewing this simply from a historical perspective, devoid of the influence of, you know, the divine, you know, um, the filioque, um, and I never say that word, right. And I never will. And that's okay. But, um, when, uh, you know, to, to act like that, what happened, what happened because simply because of political and socioeconomic reasons, and you know, reunification is in order and stuff like that. Um, uh, to do that and to ignore the underlying spiritual dimensions of what was happening is, you know, it's it, it does a disservice, I think, to um, the history of the church, the history of people in general, the history of the human race and our interactions with God. Um, so to have um you know you know what i'm saying father am i making sense like
1: yeah no i mean yes it it matters um and that doesn't mean that you know again you know to stay on the real path unfortunately many will take that and and cease to be christ-like cease to deal with the situation in a christian brotherly manner um cease to deal with these situations with, with love that's not okay, you know. And like, um, I know that unfortunately, because I'm not the most intelligent guy, I'm not the most educated or learned learned priest. I know that I can sometimes default to a kind of more polemical, um, you know, kind of approach. But you know, I, I'm not. I'm not an academic theologian. I'm a preacher. You know, I'm not an academic theologian. Uh, you know, I'm a pastor, I'm a spiritual father, I'm a confessor, like that's my wheelhouse, you know what I mean? And for me, um, you know, one of the big things, um, like those who know me, like theology matters to me. Um, and one of my big things is I'm, I'm really into letting people know, like, no, you know, the, the, the essence energy issue matters to us, but, but I'm all about getting us to understand how it plays out into your life now. You know what I mean? Because I think for me, there's a place for it, but me orthodoxy isn't, isn't a, a place to kind of like, you know, wank about and like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. And like imposter, do all these things. It's like, it's, it's a matter of life, mm-hmm. you know, like dogma theology is a matter of life. And so that it, it matters to me. And I think it matters to everyone And and for people who relegate it just to kind of like flexing their, you know, ability to put away facts I think they have I think they've got it wrong um just like I think people often get it wrong where they take these these uncharitable and Christ-like positions with other Catholics right because we're Catholic right We're, we're Catholic small c and you know we do have Catholic faith in common with Roman Catholics and Oriental but at the same time the other side of it. Right. So that, that's talking to the right side, but to the left side where it's just like, it, it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. No, it matters. Yeah. it matters, and, and it and it matters on the level that I'm talking about. Like the, we're not, we're not going to do it now, but the whole way I just, well, someone might think I'm full of it, which is fine. You're probably right. Whatever. But the way I just spent this time kind of laying out pastorally, like boots on the ground, um, how that affects, that theology affects the the, the the spiritual life of the everyday, you know, Catholic layman, whatever. I could go, I can do the same for the Oriental and from experience a little bit more, you know, having a small amount of time with, in the Coptic church before um, before my wife and I, you know, um, were received in the Eastern church. We weren't received in the Coptic church or in church. But we had a period of time there and having a lot of friends and everything, and still do. I have I have friends who are priests who are, you know, great men of God, you know, um, but the, but these things, you know, they're real and we can't just act like they're, they're not real. Um, and, and I think I would say this. It's interesting if you read the renunciations in our book, in our book of needs. There's there's only one, there's only two renunciations for the Oriental. It's, and it's all around Chalcedon and they're, and they're just, they're just two. Whereas when you look in the Roman Catholics and the reformation, there's a bunch.
2: Oh no. That
1: tells tells you something. Yeah. That tells you something because, you know, I had one guy tell me once he's like, well, you know, I mean, he's like how I said to him, I said, if there's going to be any, if there's going to be any, um, unification, if there's going to be any reconciliation that's going to happen, it's going to happen between the Eastern and the Oriental church way before the West and, and the East. He's like, no, how could that be? Because, you know, on all the stuff. I said, no, you don't get it, man. Because when you, when you, when you look at the life, how, how the, the faith is lived out, the, there is truth to the fact that the Oriental and the Eastern church, we share in many ways, a similar ethos, Right that that dogmatic issue of chalcedon and the two natures of christ it's real it's it's a real thing and it's disingenuous to say that it's not okay great um but our ethos is is really similar whereas the ethos with with rome i'm sorry it's it's way more different than people realize and those renunciations prove it you know what i mean it's like we're only we're only a few centuries removed from rome and from you know the reformation by proxy we're a millennia you know almost from from the from the oriental church but our ethos are still way more similar that tells you something you know
2: yeah i used to work with a bunch of ethiopian folk and there was there was more in common than not like yeah and i mean everyone put away your anathema you know, like stamps or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't, don't be, don't be jerks yeah. about it. Don't yeah. be jerks about it. But, um, but uh, yeah. That that I, I struggle because you know, um, uh, with me having to like renounce some of my ecumenism, I I probably err too little, a little bit too much. Still on the other side of, oh, uh, what does this Catholic priest want? like disregard, you know, everything this guy's got to say. And like that's not that's not prudent and it's not Christ like of me to do that because you know there there are things, you know, there are things. So that's what I'm doing better spiritually. I can remember that. So. yeah.
1: I mean, I, yeah, I I mean maybe this is like a one for I don't know, I'm sure we'll get some dialogue on it, but um yeah, I think that like there there are things that are going on now that make it a lot easier for a lot of Roman Catholics to see the necessity of, of no longer just looking at it like, oh, it's kind of all the same thing, and being like, maybe there's something to this orthodoxy thing, more than just the aesthetics of 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 you know, quote unquote Byzantine. Sure. Church, cause, I've, cause you, I've seen you,
0: it in my own circles, Father, like in my mm-hmm. own circles around me, mm-hmm. I've been seeing and it's been over the last year where it was like, OK, I'm going to uh, like Catholic friends like and contacts being like, OK, yeah, I'm, I'm going to church more. I'm going. And then then they were just like, yeah, I just got done with like my first Orthodox liturgy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Wasn't wasn't fitting the bill wasn't fitting the bill like they were like yep i'm gonna really really go all in on on church and then they were like sorry it's not fitting and these are like these are like very catholic people yeah and i know it's got to be really difficult for them this process you know
1: but yeah i mean i I can say this because you know (laughs) i'm sure she won't mind but um you know the the senior nun here you know, she's, she's often said, you know, she became Orthodox to be a better Catholic. Hmm.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I mean,
2: I got so. a lot of love for that lady.
1: Yeah. She's great.
2: Yeah. Um. And yeah, I, I, I guess I can finish this with this, but I mean, it's difficult and it's difficult. I'm very lucky in the sense I was raised non-denominational in some sense, because I carried almost no baggage with me into you know orthodoxy the the non-denominational tried very hard not to define anything too terribly much it was and that's its own error because suddenly oh you know it's all good you know like you're forgiven it's not a big deal so when someone i didn't have like calvinistic theology or i didn't have like you know uh, that's about the only one i know but you know some of these other ones like predestination or stuff like i didn't have any of that stuff to renounce but um or rather to change my mind about, but, uh, I have, I, there's a, uh, a father. I really like a priest, a priest monk. I really like, and I won't name him now because I'm not sure that he would want to stick by this quote. I think he would, but whatever, I don't want to get him in trouble, but he said that he will take an atheist or a communist over a Catholic most of the time, just because there's a, there's a open ground and there's, you know, um, there's like this ability to, go in and start planting your own like you know the seeds of orthodoxy without having to like k- take away some of the foliage mm-hmm. and i i didn't probably didn't get the proper context he said for the spiritual child he would rather do that it's easier to have a commune. yeah rather yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That, that's an important distinction an you gotta easy- say that because so that's that's scandalous without the proper context yeah, sure. the yeah. context is you know it, it, trying to help along like a spiritual child or something versus like, you know, like, like we are saying earlier, there's commonality. I think we need to increasingly find. Right. Sure. Um, but in regards of like, again, like for me, I would echo that sentiment if we're talking about um, working with someone, because I have spiritual children who come out of nothing much easier. There's no baggage For them to work through in that in that same sense yeah i mean
2: and forgive me easier easier is the word i would say he not rather rather meaning it's probably easier for him easier for the spiritual child blah 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 yeah so yeah um okay so a new thing i'm gonna go and I'm going to talk about a saint for a second. And I hope this a saint. I don't know how common the saint is or how well-known the saint is. But I was thinking about a saint tonight. And there's lots of them. Um, I think probably more of the well-known saints that I would want to talk about. But after doing this, some of the things I get ready for this podcast, for this one popped to my brain. So I read The Cult of the Saints by St. Saint John Chrysostom. Um, and, uh, one of the ones that he talked about, um, that always stuck with me and father, I'm going to have you vamp on this for a second. Do you know St. Barlam? Like, so
1: which St. Barlam, which
2: one? Uh, Oh, St. Barlam rather with the incense in the hand.
1: Oh, he's one of my favorites. Yeah. Every year I got to do, I got to serve liturgy for him.
2: Okay. So, Mm -hmm. um, the, the story is that, um, they were trying, some of the pagans were getting to try to, and what year was this? Um. Mm, oh, geez. I'm very sorry, guys. This is excellent radio. Uh, I'm not seeing, I'm seeing the date that the sermon was delivered. Not when, Father, do you know what year he was around about? No,
1: he's early though. He's yeah, early. Probably
2: 200, 300, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's really early. Um, so St. um The story is is that they were trying to get him to offer incense to the idols. And the way that they came up with that was to put a hot coal in his hand. Right, Father? hmm Yeah. And so that he would instinctively. And he's an old man, by the way. Okay. I did not
1: know that. Real important to remember. We're talking about an old man. Not like a young buck like you. An okay. Old man. hmm
2: um, And so that he would. Turn his hand like that and drop incense onto the on you know and then therefore give incense and rather he just held his hand there and the coal burned all the way through his hand and then fell out the other side and no incense was offered. Um,
0: Andy so, died if I'm not mistaken. Andy died that killed him right? They killed that him. Killed
1: Correct. Him. Mm-hmm.
2: So one of the things that struck me when my early 2020 repentance was the fact that um, St. John Chrysostom, and I think I had talked about this on the podcast before, but just in case, I am not necessarily a young buck that father made me out to be. I am an old man, and I repeat myself sometimes. But he talked about that, um, sure, the flames hurt. Sure, the flames are destructive to your body, but they're nowhere near as dangerous as the flames of desire. Right. Like the Mm -hmm. lustful, like fleshly desire and stuff like that. And one of the thoughts that hit me when I was reading this the first time was, oh, he's not being like, he's not like being like, like metaphorical. Like he's not saying like, oh, one day, you know, one day these flames of desire are really going to be hurting yourself. Like, no, right now, those are literally hurting you more than these actual physical flames are hurting you. Like your lustful desires, like the, the the lustful fire that gets burned in your soul, that is actually much, much, much more destructive than, you know, the flames that martyrs are cast into you or whoever's cast into you or whatever. Those flames are secondary to these like inward flames that are, you know, that are that rise up in you. So when I thought of a saint to talk about, this is the guy, you know, it, it was interesting to me that um, he popped into my head. And then I remember like one of my first like real like oh he's being literal he's not he's not talking like poetically or metaphorically like he's being literal like he's saying like no this is more destructive to me that was like a thought that hit me like a train when I first had it and um yeah so that's that's uh that's a fantastic book by the way absolutely fantastic book so father you got anything uh you got anything to say about that
1: no I mean on so many levels, Barlaam's an incredible uh, saint, um, and it goes to show the discernment. You know, the discernment that's given by God to the to the people um, to really. It, I'll just say this because I feel like I've just talked way too much tonight, but um, <laughs> like. We've, we haven't talked about the old AC in a long time on here, which is great, whatever, but... The old um, AC. The old AC, not the air conditioner. Um, you know, it's just important to remember that there's... A, it's the real path. There's always a balance, right? Like, so on the one hand, our Lord calls us to watch. The fathers call us to watch. Um and to, and to look for the signs, you know, like we don't look for the signs to predict who the AC is, but we look for the signs to see the, the the encroachment and the deception of the AC. But on the other hand, and this is why I'm bringing up Barlam, and this is the point I want to get, no, no one is going to be deceived in that sense. You know what I mean? Like if if you want Christ ruling and reigning your heart, we don't have, in essence, in essence we don't have to be looking under under rock like, is it the Antichrist? Is this the Antichrist? Because it's, if if we want Christ, He's gonna give us that discernment, just like He did to Barlam. You know what I mean? Like, even in the face of pain and death, He wasn't tricked. I think that's. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think, yeah. I think that's really key, because with the guilt that we talked about, there's also this fear of like you know, God is dangling you like a spider over like the abyss. And that's not the case. You know, Um, if you love him, if you've given yourself to him, then trust him. He will give you the discernment you need in that day. Just like he did Barlam, you know, he'll give you the type of discernment that will circumvent and bring you beyond pain of death.
2: No, that's, that's good. And what a wax sermon, right? the dangling spire spider above the fire i hadn't thought about that in a long time yeah. like that's kind of a yeah yeah i don't mean to offend but that's kind of a crazy sermon yeah so, but anyways yeah who was the saint father that when they were roasting him he said i need to be flipped over so i can be done on the other side
1: well saint lawrence said that and i think there was also another one who said it but saint lawrence said it but i think there's another one who said it too yeah
2: yeah that's pretty wow. Yeah yeah that's pretty dope um okay um yeah i think that's it um again we come i think in the world of some of the stuff at least i saw when i was researching this topic we aired more towards the side of just trying to be understanding and compassionate about the subject if we said anything terribly overtly offensive like i'm speaking for myself if i said anything like a caveman that hurt someone's feelings i didn't mean to you know i didn't mean to do that um uh, I I've known uh, some Catholic people, and we agree on a lot. You know, there's a lot there that there's a lot of common ground. And now you okay, Protestant, so i right
1: there. I'm gonna stop you right there. I want this is this is how I want to close it out.
2: Hold on, I want to talk crap on Protestants for just one. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is how I want to close it out because I just gave I, I talked to the kids about this love. And I just I did this whole thing on this last Friday with the kids. So I'm just gonna put it this way, right? Like I'll spare everyone all the minutiae, like going through all the scriptures, blah, 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 but I, I would just say this, like for any, any, any non-Orthodox brothers and sisters out there, whether you're Catholic, Oriental, Protestant, whatever, like, and if you're Orthodox, and if you're sitting there being like, yeah, stick it to them, let's just be really clear about something. Um, to him who is given, you know, much, much is expected. And when people say like, are non-Orthodox going to heaven? I would answer it this way. There's gonna be a lot of Orthodox who aren't, who aren't quote unquote going to heaven. Like we don't even think of it like going to heaven, but like, what, <laughs> what is better? Is it better for someone in their ignorance to do much with little or for someone with everything to do nothing?
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: so so let me me a coppa, let me hand that to my two brothers and sisters who are not orthodox. I would just say that, you know, and I would say to all my spiritual children who are listening, to anyone who's orthodox, you know, may God help us in that. And that's why we say, Lord, have mercy. May we never be triumphalistic in, in the wrong sense, you know, like it's all. None of I, I say over and over again, you didn't study your way to the church. If you think you did, you're a fool. Like you found the church, you were brought to the church. Christ opened the door for you. And so you need to honor what Christ did and, and be a witness, be a witness to who Christ is. We need to preach the gospel in the true sense. Well, what is the gospel? Here's the gospel, right? God created man how what do you do <laughs> this is the sermon today I how what do you do with a creation to keep what do you do with human beings how do you keep this creation that's been endowed with the greatest gift which is free will from destroying the universe right well you have to give them a way to navigate that that free will And and the way of navigating that free will is to know the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord. How do you discern that? Because so oftentimes we want to pursue what feels good and we want to reject what doesn't feel good. Well, oftentimes because of that, the word of the Lord comes to you and you know the right thing to do, but you don't want to do it because it seems painful. And that's where the cross comes in because the cross is the kind of divining rod to help you to understand what is of God and what isn't of God, and and when to pursue that painful path like Barlam, because it'll bring you to life versus the the easy path, the, the less painful path leads you to death. What am I talking about? Why does all this matters? It matters because orthodoxy isn't about having the historically correct church orthodoxy isn't about having correctness period orthodoxy is about being in communion with christ because he is eternal life and he and the life that he gives us is only possible by the renunciation of ourselves that's why we don't walk around with electric chairs around our necks that's why we don't walk around with m16s around our necks that's why we don't walk around with guillotines around our necks Those are all instruments of death and execution, but they're not the cross. The cross is what it is, not because of that it kills, but because of the shame. And it's in the shame that we begin to discern what is of God and what isn't of God. What is of God and what is us? That's what it means to be Orthodox. It has nothing to do with having the correct answers on the test.
2: I agree just yeah and i would add c.s lewis has done way more cool stuff than i ever will and he was a protestant so i mean we'll just say that so um so uh we're gonna end there yeah that's what we're gonna do uh the royal path podcast music it's still there i've already added the stuff from tonight that we talked about um and then uh Uh, We'll be back next week, God willing, and thanks for having a good night.